Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Home Run Apple Sources Minor League Podcast. I am Steve Seifer, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. The whole gang is here. <laughs> so, happy uh, Memorial Day. You guys have a good extended weekend? Yep. 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 Going pretty good. All right, so we will tie that into promote extend trade. It is Memorial Day weekend, you know, day that we honor the military and all that. So what famous military leaders are we going to promote, extend, or trade? <clears throat> so first we have Captain Steve Rogers. Next is Admiral Akbar. And last but not least is 25-star General Zap Brannigan. Rear Brigadier Zap Brannigan, the man with no name. Zap Brannigan. <laughs> We're caught like fish in a barrel. Options, I suggest we hide in a barrel like the wily fish. <laughs> um, This is a tough choice, Steve. I, I know. Yes. I mean, if you look at his record, Zap Brannigan is quite the experienced leader. I mean, he did stop the killbots. By you know throwing waves of bodies at them. I I, I mean, what are we I mean, no one pushed, on here? You know his tactics are are his his own. You know it's whatever, but you can't uh-huh. argue with results. Uh huh. What what are we ranking on here? Like actual military competence or uh... I mean, whatever you want. Oh, shit. I mean, he is a twenty five star general. Chosen Captain America, it's a trap, and Zap Brannigan. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to trade any of them. <laughs> I keep all of them. Can I make the roster work? I don't know. I was. Really I feel like at... you got to promote Brannigan. He has too many military accolades. <laughs> a lot of medals. Show them my medal, Cliff. Cliff. <laughs> Cliff. Hope I get a me- enter my name for a medal. Something gaudy. I'm going clubbing this weekend. I yeah, I'm I'm with Zap. It's it's Same. too good. What a show. Same, same, same. Uh, how do you guys feel about the reboot? Or not reboot, but new episodes coming this summer. <laughs> I'm I'm open to it. There's new I'm episodes open. again? Yeah. yeah. Back oh. again. Huh, I did not know that. I mean, I'm happy that there are, I guess, because more Futurama can only be good, but it has to stop at some point, doesn't it? Well, it's been stopped uh, three and a half times now yeah. <laughs> since they've written three and a half separate finales. Um, I think the last finale was a really good finale, so... Yes. Yeah, it was. I don't know, that kind of... If there's more episodes, that kind of ruins that a little. I'm I'm pretty vehemently... Anti more Futurama. You think it was like leave it in its time, it's fine. Yeah, like I mean the ending of se- the ending to season four with the uh, opera house where he finally plays for Leela at the end that was really touching, but you could do something with it. Mm-hmm. Into the Wild Green Yonder was totally open ended when they go into the wormhole. Uh, Overclockwise was literally an emergency in case we get canceled again finale so whatever but the the last finale was so touching and so conclusive it's like why are we 
Why are we doing yeah. more of this? Yeah, you, I mean, the answer is money, just, but... Yeah, of course. Mm. I mean, you don't want it to become The Simpsons, right? And I say that as someone who has never been a Simpsons fan, but who continually hears the refrain that The Simpsons peaked 25 years ago, and now they just can't ever get rid of it. Like... Yeah, pretty much. And it was really good in... The Simpsons, obviously, was really good for a long time, but... <clears throat> Homer's birthday is going to have to be in, like, the 80s soon for it to make, or the 90s soon for it to make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, That's horrible. Homer's going to be a millennial. Is he already a millennial? I don't even know. Is Homer think, Simpson a millennial? I think Homer, I, I, I don't know where I read this, but I remember seeing this recently. Like, canonically, Homer's 35 years old. Yeah, so he was born in 1988. Oh, God. Well, I don't know any people born in 1988 that have a uh, family home with garage and uh, yard. He's a and... he's a nuclear scientist, sir. <laughs> is I he mean, though? He, he's gone. He, his family is literally his <clears throat> life has literally gone from a, a joke, like being some sort of failure in the time the show was made originally, not maybe not a failure, but like not something to aspire to, to like now, holy <laughs> shit, he owns a house and can afford three kids and, and, and two cars. Good fucking luck with that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they do have two cars. All right, well, I think that's conclusive. Um, Moving on now to our way-too-early draft updates. All right, so my guy, Cole Kering, uh, San Diego State University, they had their season come to an end this week. Uh, The Mountain West tournament they played, they lost to Air Force 12-1, not a score that you want to see in a uh, tournament final. And then in the elimination game against Fresno State, they lost 42, so that ended their year. And in the first game, Craig went 1 for 3 uh, with a single. And then in the second game, he went 0 for 5, left a ton of guys on base. So it was a 1 for 8 week for him to end 2023. And on the year now, he has a total slash line of 303, 357, 458, and 42 games. Eight doubles, five triples. Two home runs, 17 stolen bases in 24 attempts, nine walks, and 22 strikeouts. Um, so, I mean, a good year on paper, but I would just have to say a pretty bad year, uh, given expectations that he was thought of as a, uh, what is it at that point, the compensation round? for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to be like a compensation round dude in the 30s, uh, which he's certainly not anymore, so. Oh, well. Win some, lose some. You cursed him, Steve. Yeah, I might have. This is your fault. It might be. I mean, I... Last week, was it? We were talking about uh, Dylan Hall on the Cyclones, who was, like, unscored upon, and literally, Mm -hmm. as we were recording, he, like, gave up four runs or something, so it might be a curse. Uh, Ken, Yohanji Morales, 
How uh, how did he do this week? Had Miami do this um, week? So uh, since uh, I was out last week, I had the last two weeks prepared. All right, there you go then. He played eight games, uh, 34 at bats, and hit 471, 538, 853. He hit four homers, uh, including two uh, last night against Wake Forest, and struck out nine times against five walks. So uh, pretty good. Yeah, that is uh, that is a solid week uh, week and a half. On the season, he's now hitting 406, 475, 685. Uh, he's struck out at almost exactly 20% of his plate appearances and walked about 11%. Um, so kind of exactly the season that you, you'd think he would have, uh, if you know what I mean. A lot of power, uh, 16 home runs, uh, basically duplicated what he did last year. And uh, a lot of Ks, but a lot of damage on contact. Yeah, 20, 20% strikeout rate with the kind of power that he has. I mean, that's... That's egregious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'd like it to be a little lower, given the level of competition, but... That's um, true, too. Uh, when he does hit the ball, and he hits the ball a fair amount, uh, it tends to go pretty far. So. Big man hit ball far. <laughs> it's recipe for success. All right, uh, MSU outfielder Colton Ledbetter. He hits ball far. How's Not as far as Morales, really. So he didn't no. actually uh, play this week because Mississippi State kind of sucks, um, <laughs> which I'd actually not realized until I was looking for stats this week. Um, Mississippi State were 27 and 26 on the season and a whopping 9 and 21 in conference. Oh, damn. So. Yeah, their season's done. I don't think they're going to Omaha with that. Um, on the season, Ledbetter finishes with a 320-452-574 line. That's a 1,026 OPS. 12 homers, 12 doubles, uh, and 248 plate appearances, 47 walks, 36 strikeouts, 17 steals, and one caught stealing. He reached base in every game except two. Um, played generally well-regarded defense in center field for a college outfielder. Um, maybe didn't display the level of power you might hope for, uh, but certainly answered questions about his ability to handle premium college velocity having transferred from Samford. So all in all, you have to think that's an extremely successful season. He's consistently popping up in the uh, 30 to 50 range in most rankings I see. Uh, probably gets drafted somewhere between 20 and 40, 20 and 45. I know that sounds like a wide range, but frankly, the, the talent is pretty flat in that tier. Like it's, there's not huge gaps. So anywhere around there could be a reasonable spot for him. And uh, I'll be very interested to see where he goes and we'll probably target him in the NPL draft come like next January. And last but not least is the only high school player that we picked, uh, Rock Kolowski from Hamilton High School. <clears throat> so while I was gone on my, I don't remember what I was doing one week, but one week I got stuck in a movie theater because they started Guardians 3 too late. But that... <laughs> a bunch of assholes. Yeah, it was like, it was supposed to be like a, like a one thirty uh, something 30 start, and I would have gotten home like 10 minutes before. I had to, would have 
been able to record, and I, I they started it like a half hour late. I don't know what happened. Anyway, um, uh, Cholowski won the Arizona baseball championship uh, for high school. And, um, Hell yeah. And, while I was gone. In the playoffs, they went absolutely crazy, which you would expect. They were the best team all year. They went 26-5. and five. But, um, yeah, they won the first game 8 nothing, the second game 9 nothing, the last game 8, the, the next game 8-3, the next game 10-3, and then the final, they won 3-1. to one. Um, So I'm just going to do his whole season. He played 31 games, and he hit 466 with a 577 on-base percentage, including, let's see where the home runs are, 11 home runs, which is pretty impressive for a high school kid. You'd like to see a little bit more, but 11 home runs in 31 games is nothing to to um sneeze at for sure i learned that his dad is a scout um so city i think or something like that. i believe so yeah oh reds Reds. for the reds um so and he had a eight-year professional career so he he has a bit of a athletic background already and that is that definitely helped him get to the stage where he's at now and i don't really know if he's going to get drafted or not um he really wants to go to UCLA, it seems, but it sounds like also he's getting enough draft focus where he it's kind of an interesting thing that maybe he gets convinced not to go to UCLA because he might get drafted high enough. I don't know. We'll see. But I could see a guy like him being where the Mets pick just because of the commitment seems to be pretty strong. Like, I think I've said that every week now, <laughs> but he committed when he was like a sophomore or junior or something. So he's definitely... He, if he wants to go to a school, he's going to go there, you know. So yeah. we'll just see what happens in the draft. Things change. Guys move up boards. Guys go down boards. I believe his dad is from California. Yeah, his dad went to the University of California, and he's in their athletics hall of fame. So he has bases in that state already. So I'm sure that helps too. But yeah, we'll see. He was very good this year. So. It'd be interesting to have like a database or, or just some sort of set of information about players, high school players who have fathers that either played baseball or are still involved in like a front office of baseball somehow to see like what the overwhelming kind of advice is like. Yeah. You know, take take the take the big offer at high school or, or screw that. Go to college and build your build your value up. And you also get you, you get a look at it from another point of view, too. I'm sure his dad is not allowed to scout him like um, crossing sports here. But Deuce Vaughn is a running back that the Cowboys drafted and his dad is a scout for the Cowboys. And he had to leave the room when they would like scout him and discuss him and stuff, obviously, because <laughs> he's going to be like, hey, take my son. But yeah. um, and they found him good enough to draft anyway. And he it's I think he's good. So it's fine. But or good enough to be drafted. So it's fine. But I'm curious to see what kind of a, a scout father would say to a son in terms of how teams look at you also. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, he kind of gets a different... He he has way more of a view of how a team would see someone, even if it's not him directly, just growing up. Like, I'm sure he asked his dad about his work. It, I'm sure it was something that, obviously, when he's starting to become a really legitimate prospect, he can't be going to his dad and being like, hey, what do the Reds think of me? But more like, hey, go, coming home when you're a 13 year old and being like talking about baseball with your dad, you're going to learn more stuff than you would the average person would know. Because yeah, 
Yeah, it's just that's how it is. So I'm, I'd be curious to see that, too. The only guy I could think off the top of my head is a couple of years ago. I think it was 20, either 2018 or 2019. It was it was before, you know, the shortened drafts. The Mets drafted, uh, I forget if his name is Mike or Brian. I forget which one is like the father and the son, but Mike Piccolo or Brian Piccolo, whoever. One of them is uh, the... the oh, shit, we drafted Piccolo and Gohan? Yeah, <laughs> the uh, son of the of the um, like a Royals uh, assistant manager, GM, general manager, excuse me. He didn't sign with the Mets. Yeah, but that's the only one I could think. That's like a front office. You know, obviously there's always you know like Daniel, you know Alfonso, like play sons of players, whatever. But that's kind of different than you know, like front office kind of things or scouts or whatever. Who have a kind of more of an inside like knowledge. <clears throat> if it was something I had more time on my hands and a better uh, understanding of how to make scrape data and make databases, I maybe mm-hmm. would look into something like that. But yep. copy and paste in Excel takes a while. All right, so we'll move on now to the Mets affiliates. And Syracuse, uh, they played a series against the Louisville Bats. They are the Cincinnati Reds AAA affiliate. And they did bad even for Syracuse Mets standards. They lost Tuesday. They lost Wednesday. They lost Thursday. They lost Friday. They lost Saturday. And they're going to be starting up the last game of the series in a little bit during this recording. And... If I was a betting man, I would say that they're also going to lose on Sunday. Also, they've been absolutely brutalized by Ellie De La Cruz all week. Oh God, yeah. Well, I mean, who, who hasn't? He hit that. He hit that ball off Joey Lucchese to fucking Pluto, and then hit another <laughs> two homers the next day or two days later. But hey, uh, well, with this victimization. Uh, Syracuse is 19 and 31, and the freaking Rochester Red Wings, who have been in the cellar all season long, they've now leapfrog over Syracuse, and Syracuse is in dead last. Um, they are 16 games behind the Norfolk Tides. Not great. Pathetic. Uh, yeah, uh, pathetic. Binghamton Rumble Ponies, they played the Richmond Flying Squirrels, the San Francisco Giants AA affiliate. It's always weird when I see that. You have the the Giants AA affiliate is on the East Coast. Yeah. You have the, the Colorado Rockies with the Yard Goats on the East Coast. Not too many uh, West Coast teams, or even like far Midwest Because there's a lot of problems with the West Coast affiliate. Well, yeah, that, data. Is, <laughs> that, is, that is a very good point. Um, but um, it was a good week for Binghamton. They won four games. They lost one game. And again, Sunday's game is going to be starting in a little bit as we record. And the Rumble Ponies are actually streaking. They've won three games in a row. They are six and four in their last ten games. They've they've surged into third place, believe it or not. Um, they're one game under 500. They're 21 to 22, and eight and a half games behind the Portland Sea Dogs. 
And that's actually worse than they were last week uh, because Portland is on an even better run right now. Portland has won seven of their last ten. So that's totally the Mets way. The team has been sucking. They finally have a good week and they lose ground in the standings because the other team is even better. Uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones, they played the Winston-Salem Dash, the, the, the White Sox high-A affiliate, also had a good week. They went 4-2. and two. Um, They also went 4-2 and two last week against the Hudson Valley Renegades. So they are 8-3 and three in their last 10 games. And they're closing in also on 500. They are 19-23. and 23, And they are five and a half games behind the Hudson Valley Renegades for first place in the South Atlantic League North. And finally, the St. Lucie Mets, and they played the Clearwater Threshers, the Philly single-A affiliate. It was kind of a weird week. They only had five games scheduled. For whatever reason, they randomly had Friday off. Um, but it was a good week for them. They they went 3-2. and two. That puts St. Lucie at 13-31 and 31 on the season. I, I like the symmetry of that. But I don't like the fact that they've only won 13 games. That's um, crazy. Yeah. That's like Oakland A's level. Damn it, you beat me to it. Yes. <laughs> Oakland now, A's level of futility. If the Oakland A's play the St. Lucie Mets, who would you put your money on? Uh, I mean, the A's. But, uh, <laughs> Are you sure, though? Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm like, okay. extremely sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, St. Lucie is 12 and a half games now behind the Palm Beach Cardinals, and they are obviously the worst team in the Florida State League, so... Not great. Even Jacob deGrom couldn't save them now. No. <laughs> and we also actually have some Dominican Summer League news. Mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know when exactly this happened. So, I mean, this could have been something that happened like six months ago, but I'm now just noticing it. Mm-hmm. But the DSL Mets 1 and the DSL Mets 2 are officially now the DSL Mets Orange and the DSL Mets Blue. So I honestly prefer Team 1 and Team 2 to Team Orange and Blue, but what do you think? I, think I have only... no strong feelings one way or the other. Yeah. Wow. What makes a man neutral? Greed. Bless their power. <laughs> it's more like, I, at least with 1 and 2, you know which one was first. Which one was the, the higher one? I'm, I'm going to get confused the whole time. But I got confused sometimes anyway, so... So, yeah, there's no, it's, it's so no reason to anything. I feel like when people, wait, like, do you say blue and orange or orange and blue? Orange you, and blue. Orange and blue. But the Mets' primary color is blue. So which team is one here? I don't know. That's the that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Someone these didn't the, think this through. These are the things they didn't think of when they made this this change. Now, do they have different uniforms? Like, is one going to wear orange as a primary uniform and one going to wear blue? Probably not, because I know a lot of the other teams do the same thing, like, in terms of naming their teams' colors. I know the Astros. I'm pretty yeah. sure the Astros. Yeah, do. the Astros are always... I don't know why that one sticks in my head, but I feel like I wrote, like, uh, DSL Astros. I almost Gold. said that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, but it's like, I feel like I wrote that one down a bunch for the Astros. They should just pick a color that's not in the uniform. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll mess pink. I'm like, all right. Do pick it black. Go back to the that uh, color <laughs> yeah, scheme that could have been. Imagine how cool that would have been, actually. They should 100% have done that for their City Connects. It would have been cool. I mean, we don't know what they are yet, but rumor is. Let's be real. They're not doing that for They're going to be black, but. Yeah. 
They're going to be black with black pants, and I'm going to cry. It's going to be lame as fuck. See, these are, these are the DSL teams. Some of this is interesting. The Diamondbacks of the DSL, Diamondbacks red and black. Okay. Sure. Or Orioles have black and orange. Okay. Astros have blue and orange. Uh, I feel like that's new. I feel like that used to be gold or whatever. The Guardians have blue and red. Red Sox have blue and red. Here's an interesting one. The DSL Royals have the DSL Royals glass and the DSL Royals steward. What? <laughs> I don't know. I I don't get it. I don't get it. Are they named after people? Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm looking at Wikipedia, so maybe somebody vandalized this just to like make our podcast look stupid. Honestly, if you go and vandalize the DSL team <laughs> Wikipedia, you'll never get that. That'll sit there for like 15 weeks before someone realizes it. Mm-hmm. The Yankee. This is very pretentious. The Yankees have the DSL Yankees and the DSL Bombers. That I remember because I remember writing Bombers once, and I was like, okay. Sure. The DSL Dodgers Batista and the DSL Dodgers Mega. What? I, this is so The DSL dumb. Dodgers Dave Batista. <laughs> this literally feels like there was a new marketing person or someone hired on the international side of things. And some asshole from McKinsey, says the person who works at a consulting firm, but not McKinsey, rolled in and was like, I got to put my fingerprint on this. We're going to change all the DSL team names. That'll do something. <laughs> there's there's no. Prove me wrong. I mean, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> there's There's no information anywhere about where these names That's came so from funny. why they've changed whoa, 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 whoa. baseball not being forthcoming with information about international players mm, very good. <laughs> never heard that one before all right so we have an email this week it was actually from like two weeks ago but i am always forgetting to look at our email address email so it's a little dated but it's still kind of topical um, so we have a, an email from listener Baruch Alster, who is also a commenter on on the site BA5. So basically, long and the short of it is he's saying that we've mentioned that there's no real breakouts by unheralded players, but he's been following a couple that he'd like to hear more about. So what do we have to say about outfielder Matt Rudick from Binghamton, left-handed pitcher Nate Lavender, who was recently promoted to Syracuse, and left-handed pitcher Daniel Juarez in Brooklyn. Um, they all have good numbers. Um, both pitchers also had good 2022s as well. Might Matt Rudick be a fourth outfielder next year? Do we have possibly two left-handed relievers already in the system without having to uh, pay for free agents? Lucas, I know that you have become a big Matt Rudick guy. He fits right into your wheelhouse. So would you like to talk about Rudick? Yeah, I can talk about Rudick. Um, so for those who don't know, Matt Rudick is a is a five foot nine, one hundred and seventy pound outfielder. Um, he was drafted out as as a senior out of San Diego State. I had the round written down and I've deleted the cell, but it was not for a lot of money. He was not a priority signing. 
Um, in four seasons at San Diego State, he hit 341, 424, 436 with five homers, 31 steals, and 12 caught stealing, and 840 plate appearances. He also walked more than you struck out, and anyone who has listened to this podcast for more than five minutes is now understanding why this is a dude I like. Um, He also participated in the 2019 Cape Cod League. He would have in 2020 as well, if not for, you know. Um, He hit 287, 374, 409 there, three homers, five steals. He again... Uh, no, he did not walk more than he struck out. He walked 13 times and struck out 19 times. But this is generally a dude with extremely an extremely limited power projection, um, but a very keen eye at the plate, an ability to avoid strikeouts and work the count and get on base. Um, his defensive reputation is fine, like, but this is very much a tweener profile, right? This is kind of the discount version of what a lot of us thought Brandon Nimmo would be when he was a prospect, like not enough power to be a real corner guy, not enough defense to stick in center. And he's obviously fixed that. Uh, Rudick is a much lesser version of that, but in that same like profile of low power, high on base percentage corner guy, um, that is until this season. Uh, so prior to 2023 across all levels, he had hit 249, 369, 368, basically equal walk and strikeouts and a grand total of 32 extra base hits and four home runs. So living up to the total lack of power this year, he's hitting 311, 455, 545 walking 5% more than he strikes out. And he already has seven home runs on the season. That's a big difference, right? Like that's a, he's not Ellie De La Cruz, but suddenly he actually has some over the fence pop. There's a, it's not as if he made a really drastic swing change. There's a subtle alteration to his setup that I noticed. His hands are a bit higher. He's a bit more closed off. Yeah, that's, my, that's what I noticed. Yeah, my estimation is that he's trying to coil and pull back a little bit more for more power. Selling out for power would be my usual estimation there. And it's working, at least based on the surface level numbers. And... He's not actually striking out more, so it, he, he's made, he tried to make a trade-off and didn't actually give anything up. Um, now, there's a big caveat to all of this. It's been 40 games. It's double-A. Minor league run environments are just all over the place this year, uh, and we don't have StatCast data on Binghamton. I tried to source some for our discussion today and could not find any. Um the couple of people I usually ask didn't come through. I'll throw them under the bus there. But if 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 this is like if this breakout is only fifty percent real, he goes from oh it's a nice organizational depth piece to this is like the sixth best outfielder currently organ in the organization because holy hell we have no outfielders. Um, as I said, I'm very prone to overrating this profile. I love my on-base guys. I don't really care about guys being short or guys being labeled as tweeners. The results are there. I would love to see the stat cast data and see just how fluky this is. Like, It would not surprise me if we saw that his a- average exit velocity is still terrible. He's still not actually... Uh, uh, his raw power output hasn't changed. He's just had some fluky batted ball luck here. It would also, on the flip side, not surprise me to see that he's optimized his launch angle and gained a couple miles an hour. Like, that's totally within the realm of possibility. And if that's the case, again, I think he's 
uh, a legitimate outfield prospect, maybe long side platoon guy, fourth outfield type, like uh, all, all, this is a very long winded way of saying that, yeah, this might actually be a, a, a potential breakout, but it's been 40 games. And perhaps most importantly, the, the other people out there who would have access to this data more easily have not talked him up to the extent where I'm victory lapping this one just yet. I'm excited, but not not like jumping for joy. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make. I feel like we could throw out all of the professional innings that he's played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the year that he was drafted, 2021, he was play he was a, a 22 year old in the FCL, so you could just throw that out. Yep. And then last year he played in a bunch of different levels and he was injured for a good chunk of the season. So you mm-hmm. can kind of throw that out too. His track record, you know, it's nothing but success in college. I mean, he's, he's hit more homers this year with a wood bat than he ever did with ping bats though. Like, yeah. That's... Yeah. I mean, and we know that he did make, you know, he did make some changes to his mechanics at the plate. It just feels weird to like, I don't know, to not have enough data to say anything one way or the other just yet. It feels weird to just kind of look at a guy who's hitting, who has an OPS over a thousand. It's actually one thousand and one is his OPS, and it's weird to just look at a guy like that and just kind of be like, meh. And just because we, we don't really, we don't really we know the information on him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything is saying that we should discount what he's doing. That he was a Senior signing that he, you know, um, um, was a late round draft, was drafted in the round 13, you know, didn't really have any hype whatsoever. And yet he's doing this. So I don't know. It's almost a commentary on what what we're doing in the modern day, right? Like it used to be, especially on the public side, your ability to eye scout and uh, identify guys was everything. Um, and it certainly still is to an extent. Um, and the trans and this would also translate over to the major league side, right? To, to the professional side, like who can the teams that were the best were the ones that were best at, with the best scouts who could identify talent most effectively. And now in the age of data, for better or worse, and I would argue better, and others would argue worse, with some reasonable points like the data comes first and in this case we can sit here and pontificate about subtle swing changes and he was injured and he's done well and the stats are good but ultimately what we need to see is has his exit has his exit velocities have his exit velocities improved is his batted ball mix better does he impact the ball more than he used to that's the final barometer here um and without that data and without without that data we're left to make really strident statements based on the looks we have of him and i don't know that any of us are really ready to do that it's just kind of putting it that way it's just kind of weird i mean like 10 years ago you know cesar pueyo is having a breakout and we're all aboard the hype train for cesar mm-hmm. pueyo and now you know rudick is having a breakout regardless of what his ultimate fate is as a professional player or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the way that we look at players and analyze this, the, the often very limited data that we have is so different now as compared to, you know, 
10 years ago, whatever. It's different. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Matt Rudick is a big maybe. <laughs> I, probably, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Thomas. They should probably him. promote him, though, to AAA. Because yes. how old is he now? 24. 24. Yeah. What is he doing in double? Like, obviously, he's good there. Like, it's a little aggressive, but they they don't have a fourth outfielder in the minors if something mm, happens. Not to, buying it to Carlos Cortez? No. Like, if something hey, happens to one of these that guys. Might be, like, that might be player of the week, Carlos Cortez. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm so fucking sick of looking at Carlos Cortez's stat line. I just don't care. Yeah, I don't imagine that Matt Rudick spends the entire season in Binghamton, especially if he continues playing like this. Yeah, they're going to have to promote him at some point because if he's if he actually did make a change and he's good now or better now, then he's he could make the majors this year. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's I mean, old enough. And if if nothing else, Alex Ramirez and Stanley Consuegra are closing in on you know a, a full calendar year at at Brooklyn. Um, yeah, you know, and you don't want you could just promote. Uh, Rudick and then promote them to his spot. Right. And, exactly. Like, exactly. Yep. I, I pretty much agree. And I and I and I'm like more conservative with hitter promotions generally. I think. Uh, but there's absolutely no reason why he should still be in Double A here. Like yeah. just not a, especially because I mean the biggest thing you worry about with promoting guys as hitters, I think, are the, is their ability to like manage better stuff is. It comes down to swing decisions, right? Play discipline. But he is. Yeah. Right. Very clearly, that has never been his problem. He is better than the pitchers he's facing. He knows how to spit on the stuff out of the zone. He knows how to work counts. There is nothing he – facing more of these pitches isn't going to magically increase his exit velocity if that's what you're worried about. Like, he needs to be challenged by – you need to see if, like, this works at the major league level. Like you need, yeah. or at least at the AAA level, so you can start thinking about, okay, do we want this dude on the bench? Well, AAA pitching is certainly not going to be that much more difficult. No, it's not. No, I mean, but it, there's nothing else you could do. There's nowhere yeah. you can't just promote him to the Mets. Like that's silly in and of itself. So, and look, if you get like, if you get discount brand Daniel Vogelbach who can actually play a corner outfield spot, that's a as much as I love Daniel Vogelbach, that's probably a better use of your roster spot. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it gets into the longer form stuff that we've been talking about, where the Mets just never have those guys where oh. you could just call them up in their nice little bench options. Because right now, they would have to go find the this time next year, or not not this time next year in the off season. Like, Fam's a free agent, and I don't know if Kane is going to be back because of how bad he's been this year. It depends on what happens for the rest of the season, but they were, you're going to have to go sign those guys. And not that the money doesn't matter to the Mets because it doesn't, or I'm I'm not saying that the money matters. I mean, but you're going to have to sign the, the Tommy fams because the, the Adam Duvall's are going to say, no, I could get a starting job here. And that's well within their right to do that. You know, the baseball doesn't have that like ring chase culture that, like basketball does where you could sign a good player for way less than he deserves because 
he wants to win a championship. Like that's just not how baseball works because it's it's 162 games of doing that, and there's less of a chance that they win anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so you you're gonna get the guys who are willing to take a bench role, and you might have to wait until February, and that saps up your time. Like the Tommy Pham thing, they signed him late, and it hasn't been a terrible signing. It's just you would have liked to have had that wrapped up with a guy in your organization, like teams do, and the Mets just don't do that. So. Yep. Um, the other two guys, uh, so Nathan Lavender, he's excellent in Binghamton. He um, should be in just – I don't know why Nagosik and Hunter are on this roster. Just start <laughs> just start DFAing those dudes and bring up guys like Hartwig and Lavender and see if they're good. If they're bad, okay, you, you send them back down and you bring up two other guys. Like, you're not missing anything with those guys and Josh Walker and all those. I don't know what they're doing in the minors anymore because they both <laughs> – they can't be much worse than an ERA of six, which both of Hunter and and Nagosik have. So Nagosik is only four. Oh, now it's six after today. Yeah, he well, got lit I mean, up. Yeah, yeah. it's cores. Come on. I know, but he looks like not great. I, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean Hunter. Hunter, I'm totally like, why is Tom? Why was Tommy Hunter ever on this roster? I do not understand. Oh, the vibes are good. Okay, yeah, the vibes. Well, they're bad now. Yeah. <laughs> Time for him to get another back injury i think the, the trainers dun, dun, dun. In, in, <laughs> i know a guy <laughs> you know, the trainers in the room with like a golf club ready to whack him in the back again yeah for real oof oh yeah okay the stuff number i'm looking up the pitch modeling numbers on negosic and they're i mean they're pretty good. like stuff plus thinks he's got the, i don't know i i still think Again, though, just get, ready to, get rid of Tommy Hunter and start cycling that spot, and then you don't need to throw Nagosik away. Like, I'm fine with the keeper. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think you have to do it the, the second, but Tommy Hunter is, like, the egregious one to me. Yep. He's a Buckeye, isn't he? Who? Tommy Hunter? Buckavino. <laughs> oh, okay. I have no idea. Are you kidding isn't me? He, I, I feel like he was an Oriole. He was. Okay. Oh, a Buckeye. Oh, guy. you said Buckeye. Buckeye, as in, I was like, like I don't oh, know if we went oh. to Ohio State, my guy. I'm a- <laughs> Ex- excuse me, that's the Ohio State. But yes, he was a Buck guy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know if Lavender is a guy that can possibly take over that spot. I just don't really think that the stuff is good enough at a major league level. I feel oh. like he's he's a guy that's all smoke and mirrors. I, I don't think it's Lavender. good enough. But right, okay. I, I'm not you saying might as well try. You might as I'm well saying he, this is so untenable that you need to figure it out. And who cares if he sucks? Because if he sucks, right? Let's say that we all. I, I don't think any of us think that he's good, right? He might be, but I don't think so. There's nothing you're you would lose for trying it because this the, the what's already here is already bad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. You, you're not you're not sending down or DFAing someone who has like a four ERA for him. Like, no offense to Tommy Hunter, and I think he's a he seems like the nicest guy in the world, and I wish he was good, but he's very he looks washed, right? Yeah. So what's the point in having him here when you could just see if the guy in the minors is good? Maybe there's some weird shit that makes him really good. Maybe it's a I don't know. He's probably not going to work. You could just send him back down then. And then you could just bring up Josh Walker 
and you could just send him down when he's not, if he's not good, and you could bring up Grant Hartwig. Like, I don't understand why they're so afraid. Who's going to claim Tommy Hunter on waivers? And if they do, good luck. You'll probably get him back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In and- in two weeks when that when the Rockies DFA him or something, that's oh, who's on my God, TV right God, Tommy now. Hunter like, in Colorado. <laughs> I mean, he's doing it right now, and it's he just gave him a double. So, like, at, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where, like, I don't think these, he's good, Lavender, but the, 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 he, has this, he has worked his way into a spot where he should get a shot. That's my opinion of it. Like, I don't like Vientos. But he hit his way in Syracuse into this into a spot here, and he deserves to have a chance because you're not losing out on anything if you don't have him. Like he, who you're replacing, I mean, you're not losing anything for that. So that's mm-hmm. really what I think for those guys. And Basically, any any minor league reliever in the upper minors who's like even okay in in their in where they are should probably be getting a spot with how bad the bullpen looks. And their refusal well, to do this, the refusal to give minor league guys a shot sooner, is both a recurring, like, this is not the first time this has happened, and also it winds up screwing them. Like, you need to know, is Nathan Lavender good, or do we have to go trade for Andrew Chafin? Yeah. I think Josh Walker is a better example here. I think he has yeah, a better Andrew chance being actually good. good. Here, yeah, agreed. But why aren't you trying to? Is there even a lefty in the bullpen right now? I don't think so. Like, it's just bizarre to me. And and you can't do it with Luke. Oh, oh sorry, Brooks Raley is is the. But like, he's a. It's different. Like that's like yes. a leverage guy. Like, he he's like the fourth best reliever, third best reliever, depending on how you think of Drew Smith. But I don't know. It's just bizarre to me. It's so strange that they're not giving any of these guys a chance to. Get with a major league, get get in the majors and see if anything could change while they're up there. I don't know. It's it's ass backwards organizational stuff. Where this is the stuff where you still see that they're way behind the curve from other teams. Well, one of those guys that um, the email mentioned, Daniel Juarez, I have to bring up because I just have to see what happens. He hasn't allowed a single earned run yet, so. Let's see what happens because again. Today, you mean? No, at all for this season. Hmm. Fifteen innings, fifteen point two innings, twelve games, no earned runs. And I said the same thing last week about someone else. So let's see if we can keep this curse going. <laughs> I'm just I'm that su- way. I'm surprised the email did not mention either of Mike Vassell, who is certainly not an unheralded guy, but is probably breaking out to an extent. But Tyler Stewart seems like the obvious answer here. Yes, he's good. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, he pitched again today. He had a seven-inning two-run, I think, one run. Either way, it was another good outing. He ne- he needs promoted. Yes. yes, he does need promoted. And you can make the case that Vassal, before he got hurt, whatever, did he? I don't know if they ever said what I it was. They, they said day-to-day, but I don't think I ever saw the actual injury. He just left with a trainer. I don't really know what it was. One of those where he just kind of left, and no one really knows what happened. He could have been in the majors this year. He's better than the bottom of the Mets bullpen now. Tyler Stewart is 23 years old, has a 
Oh, I was prepared to do this. <laughs> strikeouts to walks. Uh, strikeouts, 42. Jesus Christ. 42 to like a 4 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, 3 to 1. 3.5 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio and a 1.13 ERA in high A. He's 23. But, Why is he still here? And like he, he he's down that low because he went to like a small school, like Southern Missouri. Right. I mean, Southern Mississippi or something like that. And I think he was like a reliever-ish type guy. Yeah. But something has clearly clicked in a different way in, in with professional ball. Just send him double A. You do not know when his arm is going to break. Just get him as much possible. Get get him as much experience as possible. Like I I I think people should be way more aggressive with pitchers than mm-hmm. I think at least the Mets are. I don't know how it is in the minors league wide. I don't pay that much enough attention to other organizations, but. His 97 mile per hour fastball or whatever his good stuff is, is going to be, he needs to just throw it at other levels. Just figure it out. Let's go. Mm, in, in the next two weeks, I got, what's today's date? The 20, 28th. In the next, you know, two, three weeks, whatever, you'll have all the DSL teams starting up and you'll have the Florida Complex Leagues, uh, Florida Complex League singular starting up. So there's probably going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of, movement over the you know next few weeks yeah probably it's just be aggressive uh, just one time they did it with junior santos of all people <laughs> why <laughs> why is he the one dude they push poor junior it, it's like they did it and they were like see it doesn't work and it was like poor junior santos was like i'm hey man i'm just it's because i'm tall like I don't understand what's going on, but yeah. Tyler Stewart is Tyler tall. He's tall too, exactly. <laughs> no, makes you wonder. I don't know. Bizarre stuff from the Mets. Any other uh, unheralded players? You guys no, but I, I would like to respond to like the general idea here that oh no, the Mets development is fine because. There are these breakout guys, and I don't think that's what the email is insinuating by any means. So don't think I'm – I forget the guy's name, but don't think I'm putting words in your mouth. Um, More to the point, though, like these are nice little breakouts, we think. There are so many other backwards trending players, high-end guys who are not living up to the expectations, and also – no high-end breakouts, right? You're not yeah. seeing a dude become a top 100 prospect. Jacob Reimer is not making that leap. I'm sorry, but Matt Rudick and Tyler Stewart aren't making that big a leap either. Uh, like, that's what's really missing, and that's what the best teams consistently get. Like, the Dodgers are going to have Emmett Sheehan jump into the top 50 at midseason at this rate. Um Junior Caminero is going from like fringe top hundred guy to maybe the third best prospect. Yeah, like no, I'm not saying they you. I'm not saying any year where you don't pull a, a top twenty prospect out of your ass is a bad season developmentally. But those are the kind of strides you want to see the organization making, and instead they have systematic problems getting guys to lift the ball and systematic problems getting either doing their own pitch design or getting buy-in on it. Like there, there are larger scale issues um, that manifest in in a lack of globally exciting breakouts. Like we should be excited about Matt Rudick and Tyler Stewart and maybe. 
Nate and Lavender. Like those are fun to Met fans because we're so hyper focused. But you want to, as a barometer of your system, be generating those like globally exciting breakouts, which I don't think they are. And I think a lot of it is due to the lack of quantity of them in the Met system. Yeah. Like we get like two a year or like <laughs> one a year. And it's if that guy doesn't jump, if that guy doesn't make the Francisco Alvarez jump, then n- no one is, you know. And 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 you can kind of think about it how infrequently that type of prospect comes around. Like Pete Alonso did, mm. and then it took like five years, <laughs> and then Francisco Alvarez did, and now here he is, you know. And those other organizations like the Dodgers and I mean, of course, we're talking about the Dodgers and the Rays and stuff like that, and they're miles ahead of the miles ahead even but like the the reason why the dodgers could make trades to get them trey turner for a year and a half is because who cares they'll just in in two years three guys no one ever heard of at that point are now top prospects because they could they're making everyone is not everyone but a lot of guys are making jumps incrementally and some make a huge one Mm -hmm. but when the mets are making have have guys making jumps so infrequently it's like oh oh my god what, what what do we do? You know, like just the eggs. They're all in in Beatty and Alvarez's basket. Like they graduated and there's like kind of nothing. Like the, yep. the system's worse now. Like how is that even possible? You know. <laughs> but I would say the system took a step back this year, and it's like, geez. So what? far, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's of course the Mets are not there yet, and we keep saying that, and I, it's true. But also, they have to get there eventually. They're gonna, they're hiring better people, and eventually, it's gonna happen. It's just, I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> it's frustrating, especially for us, because we'll talk about how maybe St. Lucie will be good, and then they go thirteen and thirty-one, and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that is not good. Yeah, exactly. I actually, I wasn't sure if we'd get be able to get to this, but I think we could kind of shoehorn this in, and it's related to what you were just saying. And Thomas wrote an excellent article about Brett Beatty last week about, you know, if he put more balls in the air, he could – there's a good likelihood that he goes from good everyday player to, like, star everyday player. And I know that at least last week um, – I mean, we, I, we've mentioned this many, many times on, on the show. And I know last week when me and Lucas were talking about just specifically Ronnie Mauricio, and if you, you know, subtracted some of the – a small amount of like the questionable ground balls that he has logged as hits, you know, his his average and and OBP would drop precipitously. So I was just looking at some of the um, peripherals for like the the, the Mets top prospects. Some of them have only been in this in in, uh, professionals just this season. So we just have this one year of data couple have, you know, multiple seasons, but Ronnie Mauricio, you know, we'll start with him because he's, you know, triple A and everything. Last season, 2022, he had a 17.6 line drive rate, 43.8 ground ball, 38.6 fly ball, 23.1 infield fly ball. This year, 25.4 line drive, 49.7 ground ball, 24.9 fly ball, and 19, exactly 19 infield fly ball. He's hitting more line drives, which is good, but he's hitting fewer fly balls and more ground balls. Not good. So I was thinking, okay, 
maybe, you know, we, we've mentioned about especially um, Jet Williams and Jacob Bramer, their their exit velocity. I mean, their launch angles are, are not high at all. So I was looking at these other prospects now. Kevin Parada. Okay, 24.2 line drive percentage. Good. 34.3 ground ball percentage. That's very, very good. Not a lot of yeah. ground balls. 41.4 fly ball. 31.7 infield fly ball. He is not making good contact. He is yeah. just hitting weak fly balls constantly. Jet Williams, 22% line drive, 33% ground ball, 43.7% fly ball, 19.4% infield fly ball. So he's hitting decently. He's just having some bad luck, I think. But that's the type of prospect that they need to be. Like, that's why he was such a guy that people liked, because he was doing mm-hmm. that in, in high school. You know? Yep. Uh, Raymer now, 19% line drive. I know this is bad. <laughs> 50, 51 ground ball. Yeah. 28, oh, excuse me, 29% fly ball and 21% infield fly ball. So. Him and Beatty are an interesting, like, comp to each other, kind of. Beat me to it by. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> they both came out of high school and they both hit the ball just on the ground, like immediately. And it was just like, mm, don't do that. And Beatty just kind of never, he started to lift as he got a little older and then it's kind of reverting back. But we'll see what Reimer does. I mean, Reimer is literally the Brett Beatty starter kit now with the caveat mm-hmm. that he's four inches shorter and may not have a swing that naturally generates as much loft. Like, I think, if and this is beyond my understanding, but, like, I think Brett Beatty's swing plane just naturally generates a lot of backspin when he does actually hit fly balls, which is a good thing. Uh, I don't know that Reimers does, and I don't understand the factors that lead to that. Um, but in terms of hits the ball hard, good plate discipline, hits it on the ground way too much. Yep. You're 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 doing the hardest parts well. You're you've got the natural yeah. ability to hit the ball hard, and you don't chase garbage pitches. Just hit it in the air. We're begging. And that's you. a and that's a, pro, a popular thing with prep bats. They often do that, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's on the organization to be like stop. And the Dodgers and the Rays would do that, and the Mets have not shown an ability to do that yet. Either Worse they yet, don't. Want, I don't know that they are even trying. Like, yeah, I, I, I was just about to say that too. Like, I don't know if they even want to. I don't know if they think it's a good thing. I have no idea. But it's, I don't know. It's it it sucks because there you could see where they could get close to being a, a modern org, and then they are like still 800 steps away. And it's you got to at least for me have to remind myself that this is going to be a long and slow process. <laughs> and the Dodgers took, like when the Dodgers got bought, they were miles ahead of where the Mets were. And now the Mets have to catch up to that and then catch up to the league. And that's a lot of catching up to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple more guys. Alex Ramirez is, I'm not going to say he's struggling, but he should be doing better. His ground ball rate is up a couple percentage points, but his infield fly ball rate is up almost 5%. He's just not making good contact. Stanley Consuegra, his ground ball rate is up almost 10%. But flip side, his infield fly ball rate, which last year was 44%, this year it's 33%. So he's hitting basically 
10% fewer infield flies, and he's hitting them all on the ground now. Um, William Lugo, I think, has the best recovery, I guess, of all of these guys. Um, last year, he had a 45.6 ground ball rate, which is not bad to begin with. This year, he has a 28.9 ground ball rate. Uh, line drive rate is basically the same. It was 19.5 last year and 20% this year. Uh, his fly ball rate last year was 35%. This year it's 51.1. And he does have an increase, though, in his infield fly balls. Last year it was 23%. This year it's basically 40%. So, you know, it, it's it's not as cut and dry as, you know, everyone's hitting ground balls. It's not good. Um, there's just they're making poor contact. Seems like it's that's what the issue is. Poor contact up and down. And that's a kind of thing that happens from, you know, your eye and your decisions. And these are things, you know, as you were saying, that can be worked on. But you need to have an organization that has the capability of, you know, breaking these things down to the players, identifying where the issue is with the players and then implementing some kind of plan that helps them. And the Mets are the Mets. So who knows? But it is unfortunate that literally every single hitting prospect is... Except maybe Matt Rudick. Right, oh, except Matt Rudick. Who may, may, Jose Perosa's been pretty good. Yeah, well, I'm just talking about the top prospects here. Yeah, yeah, These yeah. These guys that, you know, like Thomas was saying... Was it Thomas? I don't even know. One of you guys was saying, you know, you can count on organization having a couple of guys pop. A normal organization having a couple of guys like these this pop. And with the Mets, no, it only happens like one guy a year, if you're lucky. And that one guy right now is Ronnie Mauricio, who we have, you know, some doubt with. So it is what it is. So I hope that answered the question. <laughs> and we made up some questions of our own. Um, but yeah, uh, that is the show for the week. So if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us emails and we will answer them promptly, more promptly. I'll try to be more on top of everything. Um, our email is from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvlahos343, Ken is at Ken1191, and Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from, rate and review it, and of course, we thank you for listening. And a reminder, we are now Patreon-based, so if you like the podcast or any of the other ones that are in the Homer and Apple Network, you can subscribe for $5 a month, and you'll get extra stuff in addition to the regular podcasts, like bonus episodes and other kind of exclusive content. So we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.